the constitution from chapter one up to chapter seven, those are what we call constitutive chapters. Morning, sir. Morning, morning, Darius. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you too, bro. It, 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 has been, it has been a tough season of dealing with hospitals. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you can tell both uh, families and the, and the healthcare system itself are quite overwhelmed. There's a whole it's conversation extreme. we need to have about these uh, healthcare systems and our healthcare sector and how we structured it, yeah. especially on the public side, because that is where the reprieve comes for a lot mm. of people. And, mm. and you know the, the deposits, the bills uh, out of this world. I mean, you do all these fundraisers, you borrow, you sell, you do everything. This is the only thing that needs to be discussed in this country. You know, mm. healthcare can take everything away that has been accumulated over years. Just wipe it out. And and and, and without healthcare, really, there, there's no constitution. Now that we are speaking about the constitution, there's there is no social contract. If healthcare cannot be provided by a country, a country that cannot provide healthcare, you are very right. No, you can't, and that's why I'm telling you that. Uh, I mean, last Sunday you you saw a member of parliament. Oh, yeah, I know the fellow. You know, this is this is September 2021. The guy has all these all these uh, women and and young people and men lined up in uh, uh, numbers of 100 and is issuing 100,000, 100,000, 100,000, and he gave out a million shillings. And wow. so I say, uh, because the question is, who is it to these people? Is not their representative? Is their owner? Uh, they don't know what this guy exists to do for them. They can't have that conversation. Is there a constitution then? I think maybe that's if, if we try to go into the questions. There is simply, uh, there's no obligation. These people do not exist to serve us. They want us to just accept that uh, they are our rulers. That that's the division of labor. And our work is to pay taxes. They, they can't provide the very basic thing, which is to keep the people alive so that they can be able to enjoy their right to life because Article 26 is on the right to life. Yeah. So if, if, if you cannot guarantee the right to life, you cannot reach Article 43 on, on the right to health. Uh, healthcare and, and food and, 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 you know, the socioeconomic rights, as it were, country. And therefore, the constitution really is observed in breach. I don't know whether that's the first question that uh, we asked. Yeah, it is, which was basically, um, you know, looking at it 10, 11 years um, into this document, the, the assessment on its operationalization across the different facets of it, the, the role Very of important. the judiciary, the role of the executive, mm -hmm. the National Assembly, Senate, the Bill of Rights, devolution. How have we gone about with this document 11 years on? Yeah, so the constitution from chapter one up to chapter seven, mm -hmm. those are what we call constitutive chapters so that we outline our Bill of Rights, our citizenship, our nationhood, our republic, etc. All those up to representation of the people. Uh, from chapter 8 going forward, 
Chapter 8 is the legislature. Chapter 9 is the executive. Chapter 10, the judiciary. Chapter 11, the devolution, etc. Public service, security. From chapter 8, going forward, we are giving work to people. Why? Which work are we giving them? We are giving them work to uphold our constituted republic in terms of who we are. We are giving them work to do. And the work we are giving them to do is to uphold chapter one up to chapter seven. So that's a very important civic education uh, pointer in terms of how we should provide civic education. Chapter one to chapter seven constitutes us. We decide how leadership and integrity is supposed to be, how our land and environment is supposed to be. We say this is our Bill of Rights. We say this is our citizenship. Uh, This is who is a citizen. This is who is not a citizen. This is our republic. And we go back to the very, very foundational chapter one on the sovereignty of the people um, and and the supremacy of the constitution. We've not uh, had a philosophical grip over the constitution. So when you look at chapter one up to chapter seven, which is very well constituted, the problem is that we have been unable to get the people after chapter eight, the legislature, the executive, the judiciary, uh, all the way to the security and the commissions. We have been unable to get these people to do the work for which we created those offices. Because those are offices. So that is the fundamental problem. And it is not a 50% because it's only the judiciary, which not even the commissions, the judiciary is the one which has attempted to understand why the judiciary was created by the people of Kenya in the constitution, that they are established to secure chapter one up to chapter seven and hold accountable the people in chapter eight up to chapter 15 responsible. So it's the judiciary alone which has understood the work. Okay, I mean, that is interesting pointing out, especially how the challenge comes in terms of these key offices that we set up uh, within the constitutional document to provide the representation, to provide legislation, to oversee various uh, facets of our national life. What do you make of these fights between the judiciary and the executive over the last seven years? Uh, Again, that's a very important question, but uh, it is not a fight between the judiciary and the executive and the the legislature. It's not. What we see, as I've I've just pointed out, is that there is a blistering assault on the judiciary, and it is two key pillars. The two key pillars of the judiciary are it is independence and it is accountability. Uh So what am I saying? The judiciary is under blistering attack and assault from practically all the, the other agencies of state that have been established by the constitution, including the people of Kenya themselves, who have betrayed the judiciary Uh and the the betrayal that judges felt when they could not see the very, very prominent churches, civil society, political parties, and so on and so forth, coming forward to stand on the side of the judiciary in favor of the constitution. They didn't do that. Nobody did that. There were a few articles and a few statements, you know, lame ones being issued from some place. But there was not, not even the academy, not even the academy, uh, the, the, the students' unions. This is what would have happened uh, 15, 20 years ago. It did not happen. It is also going through what we call betrayal by the citizens in their various, in their various, in their various groups, uh, in their various formations. 
And here we are talking about CSOs, we are talking about the private sector, which is a huge beneficiary of an independent and accountable judiciary, the professional bodies. But the judiciary has stood on its own, you know, under the attack in three ways. One, you saw that it was political attack, non-implementation of the court orders, denial of resources. In 2017 and 2018, the budget was slashed. It was, it was so bad that it was just being given money uh, to pay part salaries and, and die. But uh, the billing, the, the, the support of the operations were all not funded so, so that it was being revisited. So we have to be very clear what's happening here. The judicial is fighting is not in a war with anybody. Um, we are about 11 months to a very decisive 2022 elections. Uh, uh, what is your view on matters that will shape the electoral outcomes, um, keeping in mind the different players, you know, the recently shot down BBI, uh, of course, the Supreme Court, the High Court, and basically the judiciary and you know, uh, the Court of Appeal, the referee who's basically um, the IEBC, then there's the aspirants, but most importantly, even for the voters. Yeah, uh, actually, I wanted to say that it's 10 months, uh, you know, uh, because mm-hmm. we are talking about July next year, seven months, and uh, three months now, we, uh, we are in uh, basically in October. And that, that tells you how close we are. We are not prepared, first of all. We are not prepared for, for conducting an Article 81 standard election, because Article 81 provides the standards of holding an election in this country. Uh, and that's where our international standards of election uh, integrity is outlined. So this country, uh, Kenya, our beloved country, is not prepared for holding an Article 81 election. There's some, if an election is going to be conducted, it will be conducted outside the standard that is provided by the Constitution. There's a lot that needs to be done. And uh, you have named several institutions. And uh, I say that that is only one of the five factors that are going to determine the outcomes of uh, the next general election. So I'll call that uh, institutional preparedness and effectiveness as one of the factors that will determine the outcomes and the nature of the election we will conduct next year. The second thing that is going to determine the outcomes of elections next year is what we call bribery, corruption, uh, and 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 undue influence. Mm -hmm. The third factor is electoral violence as the third, as the third factor that will determine outcomes. The other important vector, important factor that is going to determine outcomes is the contest between ideas and identity. How far have we moved away from identity-based politics where all Luos, all Kikuyus, where it's an ethnic census, as we have called it in political science. Mm-hmm. So it is it's the question of, will this election be about ideas or will it be about identity again? And finally, which maybe I should have placed at number two, is what we call out uh, turnout, election turnout. Mm-hmm. Let me start with the, 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 the fifth, if you permit. All right. We had, we had 19.6 million registered voters in 2017. About 15 million turned up, which was about 72%. There are about 6 million, and you've raised that question in there. I'll, I'll come to it later. Yeah. 
about 6-7 million Kenyans who are expected to register as voters. And for this, is likely to take it to 25-26 million registered voters. The first question that we want to ask is, are we likely to register 26 million, 25 million registered voters? The answer is no, because all over the country, all the studies we've done uh, over the last one and a half years indicate that the interest among young people to register as voters is really low. They have basically not seen any reason why, and Narima Wako was speaking at the elections conference in June. She was telling us that young people vote because government and uh, representatives give them something. But government for the last 25, 20 years has not uh, listened to young people's talent and their creativity. So what's the business of voting? That's why a lot of young people are not collecting IDs, which are resting in disease offices all over the country. There are more than 3.4 million uncollected identity cards. Interesting. And I'll... And a lot of young people are not going to collect, uh, are not going to register to pick their, uh, to, to apply for IDs. So we are expecting poor voter registration, which is starting in October. And it is estimated that probably the highest we may go to is 23 million registered voters. If we do very well, 23 million, not 25, not 26 which is a big statement. Now, once 23 million have registered, we expected then that 19 million should turn out. Do we expect 19 million to turn out? We think that probably if the turnout is going to really increase, it will go to up to 17 million, which still speaks to a very poor turnout. When you have 26 million people who should be voting and only 17 are voting, it means that a huge section is disengaged. So those are the five factors. Election violence is is expected to increase, not nationally, but at the county level, because a lot of young people are poor, they are not employed, Mm -hmm. they are disengaged, and they only see an election as a place to provide a good and a service that they can be paid for, which is violence. The other reason why violence is likely to go up is that we expect the candidates to increase in this election. In 2017, we had about 11,500 candidates in the election. Only 1,800 were women. You see now, this number is expected to go up to about 12,000, 13,000 candidates for the same six positions across the country. So now the increased number of candidates means that we are going to increase the number of gangs, number of militia that is going to Mm -hmm. participate in this election. So it is a very complex, it's a very complex affair. Let me speak Mm -hmm. to the first one, which is uh, where you started. The incompetence and unpreparedness of election related agencies. We do not see any of these institutions except the judiciary being prepared to do their constitutional mandate but by the time we go to the elections in 10 months so we have a lot of work to do and civil society does not look like it is going to participate in these elections effectively because we rely on donor money and that donor money has been uh, closed up you know through circulars uh, that have been circulating and the government has made it very clear that it will not allow the, the, the development partners to give money to civil society relating to elections without the approval of government, the church and other non-state actors to conduct civic education because it will produce the social contract that has been undermined and has been destroyed. That is really, really um, very realistic, but also a very challenging um, assessment of 
who we are as a country. And also considering that we are going into that elections, in a sense, uh, right in the middle of uh, basically what is a debt Pandemist. distress. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And in, in this debt distress, you know, Kenya right mm. now is basically under receivership. It's under program, you know. Yeah. Uh, we've yeah. blown through a lot of the economic safeguards that you know any reasonable country would observe. And as of yesterday, the Kenyan debt had crossed the eight trillion mark, and that is um, the, the minus the, the the parastatal debts, which are over three uh, trillion right now. So basically, exactly. if we follow the recommendations that the, the International Monetary Fund made, which was that we include the parastatal debt in the overall debt assessment of the country, then we basically right now are past uh, our debt um, basically amounts are past the size of our By GDP we, we, we are, would be right now we're talking about 11 12 trillion shillings thinking about this we are not out of the woods in fact it seems like we are now just trying to slow down this economic spiraling what options do Kenyans have either individually or in their respective organizations that they belong in whether it's circles whether it's political parties whether it's in uh, CBO um, whether it's in the churches and the respective institutions that exist in the society. What options do Kenyans have to demand for greater fiscal accountability? Wow, that's a very important question. That, that should be the, 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 the question of this election, the organizing question for the, the 2022 general election. That we have, uh, for a long time, I guess from 2007, um, been very, very consistent in asking the four questions about public debt. Who do we owe money? Mm-hmm. How much? What was the money borrowed for? What were the terms of the borrowing? Mm-hmm. We need to know that. But why? Because a lot of the money that we say we borrowed is actually criminal and, and, and dubious debt. Why? In a lot mm-hmm. of that ca- in a lot of these cases, the money is not borrowed is not borrowed from anybody out there it is actually borrowed by indivi- from individuals who operate in the name of a, a, a foreign bank a foreign company out there in uh, in austria in in in, in, uh, in switzerland and so on and so forth but actually it is we are paying money back to kenyan officials who run accounts abroad so that's why we need a very thorough audit of the debt portfolio in this country. A lot of it is local to companies, to banks, right? Yeah, in, in Kenya. And it is private. It is actually b- private borrowing. We, we are borrowing from individuals. Why? Because the more we go into the depression, the more they borrow from their own banks and the more we pay to them and the more they become richer in the middle of a pandemic. We need a serious audit this has been the demand by civil society organizations. It has been the wow. demand by religious leadership and the DRG, the Dialogue Reference Group at Fungamano, consistently. Wow. You have to understand that that is exactly uh, where non-movement is coming from. Mm-hmm. What are our options? Number one, we need a serious audit of the debt. Number two, we must cut the budget to under two trillion shillings. We cannot run a country where we do not even raise half of our national budget, which then leads us to borrow more. And by borrowing more, we get the revenue that we collect. 
like this year, it is 1.17 trillion, which is going into debt servicing out of 1.7 trillion that is being collected. So we are only left with the 600 billion shillings to run the counties, to pay for health, to pay for education, to pay for everything. As we are speaking right now, unpaid pensions, unpaid pensions are in the region of 2.6 trillion unpaid. So in fact, that debt that we are speaking, which is uh, with the parastatals, that could be more because we are only hiding. There are a lot of things that we are we are owing to Kenyans uh, in pensions that we are not paying them. So in the second thing that needs to be done is to slash the budget. It has to be slashed. I told you this is this question that you have now asked is the question that should be the organizing question of the next election because it is our survival. So those three things have to be done immediately for any of these agencies that you spoke about to start making anything that is sensible in this country. We must audit and you will discover that a lot of the money that we are being told that we owe, we actually do not owe. It is fictitious debt. It is dubious debt. A lot of these companies, and I'm speaking as somebody who worked with Mars Group in 2009 when we exposed the 10.9 billion uh, so-called computer error uh, you, rem- you remember stealing in 2009, and somebody who has worked with the public accountability sector for long, audit is the first thing. Number two is to slash the budget so that we start living within our means. Number three is that we must work towards making corruption um, uh, expensive because without right. dealing with corruption, we are not going to survive. 